Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, December 31st, 2023. Today's sermon will be from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 to 21. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. Father, in this hour, I pray that uh, you would work, Lord, you would move. We, we know that if you do not um, work in our hearts, nothing will happen. Um, Lord, I pray that you would use me, Lord, as your messenger, Lord. You are the one who I represent. Um, you are the God whom we worship, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts to behold Christ, that we would love him more after this sermon, that we would, um, that our hearts would be raised up into heaven to see Christ, to know him, to love him, and to behold him. I pray, Lord, that wherever any, any one of us in this room where we come into, whatever we bring into this room, Lord, that we would um, leave, uh, Lord, giving it all to you, Christ, that we would have everything laid before you and our lives would be a living sacrifice before you, that we would pour out our lives as a drink offering, Lord, upon the altar of our faith. Um, Lord, I pray that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and so that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. Help us, Lord Jesus, um, and it is my prayer, Lord, that uh, Jesus, that you would increase and that all of us here would decrease. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So to begin, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 through 21. Turn with me in your Bibles there. And I'm going to, to begin by sharing a story that's going to help us get prepared for the sermon. The story is to give us an understanding of what is this passage going to be about. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 16 through 21. So the story I'm going to begin with is one of a kingdom. So everyone picture with me in your mind this great kingdom, a glorious kingdom. Everywhere you look, it's a beautiful place full of joy and delight. The sun is always shining down upon this kingdom. Everyone who lived in this kingdom was full of great joy, full of happiness. Everything was at peace. And inside this kingdom, everyone had a specific role. So everyone in this kingdom had a job. Certain people had things that they were required to do. Certain people were doorkeepers. Certain people in this kingdom, they were the ones who led worship. Certain people in this kingdom, they were people who were the, the gatekeepers, the ones who guarded from the outside of the kingdom. But the, the most important role in this kingdom were those who were the messengers of the king. This was the, high, the most highly honored, the most highly respected role in the kingdom were those who were the king's ambassadors. This was something that only those who were closest to the king had this particular role. Only the greatest messages were given to these messengers. And these ambassadors were sent off to other kingdoms to go and represent the king in other places around the world. However, many years in this kingdom, there were subjects who disobeyed the king's commands. And these subjects were sent off into a kingdom of darkness to live there in banishment. What their punishment was going to be was death. This was the punishment for those who disobeyed the king. And so the king banished all of these subjects, sent them out into this foreign land to live in a kingdom of darkness. They lived in darkness and they had no hope in their life. However, there came a time for the king to make a way for those outside of the kingdom to be reconciled back into the kingdom of light. And he knew there was only one way for them to be told of this great message. And so the king got every messenger, every ambassador, looked at them each in the eyes and said, I'm now entrusting you with this message of reconciliation. You are now responsible to bring this to those outside of the kingdom, to bring them inside of our kingdom. So the king of all the universe, the king of this kingdom, 
He looks at the ambassadors, the most trusted, the most highly respected people, and says, I entrust you with this. I entrust you with this message. So this is where the story ends. In this story, we are the ambassadors of the king, and God has entrusted to us a wonderful message. He's entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. And this we know is the gospel. God has given us this message. And like this story, he has said to each one of us, I'm entrusting you with this message. The Bible portrays the reality that there are two parties at odds with one another. We have God and we have man. The Bible portrays this in Romans chapter 5, that, we are, that, that God and mankind are enemies of one another. Romans chapter 5 affirms this. The Bible says that mankind outside of Christ are his enemies. So this is where this, is where this message has great importance. Without the reality of, of a reconciliation, God and man stand at odds of one another. They stand at, as enemies of one another. This is what the Bible speaks about this. This is why reconciliation is so much used in this passage. And so this is the message we have. We've been entrusted with this, and the question is, will you and I be found faithful as we bring this message to the kingdom of darkness. Now I want to show you where I'm seeing this from the word of God. It's important that theology fuels the way we live our lives. This is the reason we do sermons. The reason we give sermons is because it's a lot easier for us to have theology fuel the way we believe. That then fuels the way we live. So unless we change our beliefs, we will never change the way we live. And so that's why we have messages from the word of God because Theology will fuel the way we live our lives. And we as Christians believe that this book is the highest authority in our lives. There is no higher authority than this, than this book. And so everything that we now live comes underneath this book. And so my hope is to show you the glorious calling of the Christian. My hope is to show you the glorious calling of an ambassador of Jesus. So let's look now at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16 and on, and we'll look at this today, beginning in verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I have three major points today. If you're taking notes or just following along in your mind, three realities that I want us to know. Firstly, I want us to know the futility of the flesh. And I'm going to see this in verse 16. The futility of the flesh. Secondly, we need to know the calling of the new creation. The calling of the new creation. This is seen in verse 17 through 20. And lastly, I want us to know the greatness of God's love, which is seen in verse 21. So the first point, what do I mean when I say the futility of the flesh? This comes from verse 16. Look there with me. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ 
according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. So it's important to know what Paul means by flesh in this verse. Why is he using the word, the word flesh? We have many times in the Bible, sometimes flesh is used as referring to obviously our physical flesh. Sometimes flesh is referred to sin, our fleshly desires. In this sense, it kind of all is wrapped in one. What Paul is getting at here is he's referring to worldly things, the, the things that are seen from the outside. He's referring to, um, what he's referring to is this idea that when someone comes in the room, you're judging them based upon what they bring to the table. You're looking at them from the outside only. Does this make sense? You see them by what clothes they wear, by what job they have. This is what Paul is referring to when he says, regarding someone according to the flesh. He's removing the spirit, and when someone comes into church, you say, what is this person wearing? What, what do they have to bring to, to us? How much are they going to offer us here? What, is their, what do they bring to my, to my job, my work? This is what Paul is getting at here when he says, regarding someone according to the flesh. So during this time, Paul was refuting a culture in, Cor in Corinth that was obsessed with materialism. They were obsessed with the next big influencer, the next big speaker. They were obsessed with who could be the best orator. And on top of that, there were men coming into the church that were preaching a prosperity gospel. So what you have in 2 Corinthians, it's a people that are obsessed with materialism. There's little suffering that is happening in Corinth. And wealth is abundant. This is what's happening in Corinth. Paul is entering a society where Aristotle, Plato, all the philosophers, this is what was coming around the communities. Who's the smartest guy? Who's the next big, who's the next big shot? This is really what's, what, what Paul is, is refuting when he says, not, reg not regarding people according to the flesh. So everything around them at this time was saying, set your eyes on what is right in front of you. Set your eyes on what is visible. That's what they were saying. That's what Corinth was trying to put in front of people. They're saying whatever you can see, whatever you can touch, whatever you can buy, that's what you put your mind on. That's what you set your mind on. And anyone else, the only way that you look at them is only from that perspective. How much do they make? How much, how much do they not make? And the obsession of these material things is what was blinding the hearts of unbelievers towards God. And if there is only one life, then why not pursue the greatest pleasures on this earth? If this is the only life we live, why don't we not just pursue fleshly things, live for the greatest material things, buy the biggest home? Why, do, why, why is that not our greatest desire? I'm not saying these things are wrong in and of themselves, but I'm saying if that is our greatest desire, that is where we see something fall short. And the reason we know that these are not our greatest desires is because we believe that there is more to life than what is just seen. There is more to life than good status in society. There is more to life than retirement and vacations. And we know this to be true. So can we say as Paul, we regard no one according to the flesh? Or when someone walks in, as the world says, we look at flesh and bone. We look at rich or poor. We look at popular or unpopular. We look at this status in this place or this status in this place. What did you do in your life? Where have you come from? And this happens all in our workplaces. Everywhere we work, this is what the world is, is telling us to say. Don't let anyone bother you. Don't offend anyone. Don't come into someone's corner and just, let's keep flesh, flesh and bone. We don't talk about spiritual things here. That's, is that not what America is defined by? We don't talk about spiritual things. That's what offends me. 
I don't want to talk about that. We keep it to the flesh. How was your, how was your vacation? How was this? I mean, you guys can probably imagine with me the conversations you have with people in your, in your lives. It's flesh, it's flesh, it's flesh. Particularly with unbelievers. When, 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 when they're, anytime you bring up the gospel, they're like, you know what? Let's not talk about that. That's a spiritual reality. So Paul says here, if we are a Christian, we no longer regard anyone according to the flesh. We no longer do that. So this is the question I say. If we don't regard them according to the flesh, how do we regard them? This is, I think, the emphasis of this question. Rather than looking at it from the outside, rich or poor, unpopular, popular, the question you then ask is, is this person a child of God or not? That is how we view the lost. That is how we view those around us. Is this person saved or are they not? You see what I'm saying? It's a complete different mind shift. He's saying at one time, we used to regard people according to the flesh, but now we don't anymore. Now when someone comes in the room, we see a different person. We see a soul. We see eternity in them. We see something different in them. There's a reality that goes beyond the flesh. There's something deeper that goes beyond what we see. And this is what it means to not regard someone according to the flesh. I think about this oftentimes. I live in Kansas City, and people are major Chiefs fans. They love the Chiefs more than anything else in the whole world. And I think about this sometimes. When we lost uh, the Super Bowl or a couple years ago, it was like the world, it was like everything died. No one had hope. I'm serious. It's so sad. And I think about my life. I'm like, I have hope. I have eternity waiting for me. But everyone else, when the Chiefs lose, that is the greatest loss of their whole life. They don't have anything other than that. It's just the end of this all. It's all, it's all it is. It's flesh. And Christians, we have something far greater. We don't just look to what the flesh is. We look past that. We look into the spiritual realities. So do you view these things, others with their souls in mind? Do you see the, the reality that eternity is coming? Or do we store up treasures on earth? This is my heart, that we would all pray that our hearts would be fixed on heavenly things, fixed on the things that God is concerned with. And this is the reality. If we fix our eyes on Jesus, fix our eyes on him, that will change everything. So this is important for us to see. And let's continue in verse 16. He says, we no longer regard anyone according to the flesh as we once used to regard Christ according to the flesh. So this is where this, is where this all changes. How did we used to regard Jesus? Verse 16 says, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. What is Paul talking about when he says we used to regard Christ according to the flesh? So in first, in first century Judaism, what do you think about the cross? The cross is the greatest example of humiliation in the whole world. The cross is where someone was beaten, mocked, scorned, stripped of their clothes, and then hung naked on a cross. It was the worst punishment, the most humiliating punishment that ever could be perceived in Roman culture. This is the, this is the Jesus that in 1 Corinth, uh, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, I preach nothing but Christ crucified. This is a humiliating message. In a time of, of all they wanted to know was who was the next big shot, who was the next big speaker, Paul says, I'm going to present to you this crucified Messiah, and this is going to be amazing. This is salvation. This is joy. This is life. From the outside, that makes no sense. It's foolishness. I'm going to follow a crucified Messiah for the rest of my life? No, it makes no sense. That's why Paul says, I know nothing among you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. I don't know anything else other than this. But if you just look from the outside, it makes no sense. 
If you just look from the outside, Christianity does not make sense. At best, it's a community club. At best. That's that most, mostly what, even in America, that's what at best it, it will be from the outside. If you, just look from the, if you just look from the flesh. These people go to church every Sunday. What do they do? They sit, they sit around, they worship, and they sing and listen to a sermon. From the outside, it doesn't make sense. Until you look past that, you look to the cross, you see that it brings salvation, you see that it brings life, you see that it brings change. And so from the, world see, from the world's point of view, they see flesh. But the Christians, we see life. And this is what Paul's getting at in, in 2 Corinthians. We don't look to what is seen, but to what is unseen. For the, what is seen is transient, but what is unseen is eternal. This is the, the argument that Paul's making here in this passage. So we no longer see Christ according to the flesh. And if this is the reality in our lives, it changes everything. Our lives are changed Everything about our, our, the way we live our lives is changed if, this is, if we see Christ differently. So the first point I want to emphasize is the futility of the flesh. Do not set your mind on the things of this earth. Set your mind on the things of heaven. And this will change the way we see others around us. Getting into the message of being ambassadors for the Lord, it's important that I started here. It's important that I started with this, this point leading into the next. What is the calling of the new creation? If we no longer regard Christ according to the flesh, what is now our calling in this life? Second, we must know the calling of the new creation. And this is seen in verses 17 through 20. So look at verse 17 with me. It's important to look exactly where you see the therefores in the Bible, and it will help you understand what the argument is. So look at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So, if we no longer regard Christ according to the flesh, that means we are in Christ. And if we are in Christ, that means we are a new creation. If we are a new creation, the old has passed away. And if the old has passed away, the new has come. So what is the new that Paul is referencing? This is a verse, a very popular verse, often used by itself. Very helpful. It does encompass all of Christian life. But I think there's something more narrow here that Paul is talking about when he references new creations. What does it directly mean in its context? It obviously means we are no longer viewing the world as we once did. As I said, everything changes. But what is the new creation to be about? What is the emphasis that Paul wants us to be focused on? So now, remember this verse. New creation in Christ, old has passed away, new has come. Now listen to me, I'm going to read the verses 18 through 20 and see if you can pick up with me what the emphasis is. I just want to read the passage and see if you can pick up what Paul's emphasis for the new creation is. Beginning in verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Do you see what Paul is getting at? Immediately after he says you're a new creation, five times after that verse, he uses the word reconciliation. Five times in the span of three verses, Paul says reconciliation, reconciled, giving you the ministry of reconciliation, be reconciled, 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 reconciled. This is the emphasis that Paul is talking about. 
So the, the calling of the new creation is so synonymous with being an ambassador that it is almost one in the same. These two words, I think Paul is almost putting them as one in the same. A new creation is an ambassador. Think back to me in Genesis. Genesis, in the beginning of, of the Bible, God created Adam and Eve. What was the first command given to Adam and Eve? Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Now, do you see a similarity here in new creations? What is the command of the new creation? Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Obviously, I'm, I'm inferring that here, but I believe that's what's happening. Reconciliation, reconciling the world to God, this is the call of the new creation. It's a repeat of what happened in the garden. The new creations now are given the same command that was given to Adam and Eve. Be my reconcilers, be my ambassadors into the kingdom of darkness. So the calling of the new creation is to be an ambassador. This deals with our identity. This deals with who we are as our personhood. This is what it means for, for us to be a new creation. And so as I want to go deeper into this point, I want to give us three m uh, minor points about who an ambassador is. So we'll spend the, the, the majority of our time here in the sermon. What is an ambassador? So there's three particular uh, ways that I want to define an ambassador to help us see this message. Firstly, an ambassador is a representative. Secondly, an ambassador is from a different culture. And thirdly, an ambassador brings a message. So I'll say those again. Firstly, an ambassador is a representative. Secondly, an ambassador is from a different culture. And thirdly, an ambassador brings a message. Let's look at the first one. An ambassador is a representative. In the United States government, they define an ambassador as the highest ranking representative of the president to a foreign country. Others define ambassadors as the chief representative. This goes back to my analogy with the king. It was the highest respect, the greatest job, the greatest honor. It brought great honor to represent the king in a foreign land. And this is still true in our culture today. The people of a foreign country will look to the ambassador as the image of the country which it represents. This is still very alive and real in our cultures around the world. And think about this with me. We do not just represent Joe Biden or Donald Trump. We don't just represent the whole United States and, and, the, and the world itself. We don't represent even, I could go farther and farther, farther and farther. We don't just represent angels. We don't just represent some, anything you could think of in your mind. The God who we represent is the God of the universe. Think about how much of an honor it would be if the President of the United States said, I want you to represent me in this place. We would say, a representative of, of my country? This is, a, this is amazing. Whoever your favorite president was in the, in, in the United States, them to come to you and say, I want you to be my representative in this land. I want you to go and represent me. And so you're going to get yourself all ready to go. You're going to be all, you know, tidied up. I'm going to be the representative of the, of the president of the United States of America. This is insane. This is, this is amazing. And that is nothing in comparison to the, to the call that is here for you and I to be representatives of God Almighty the God who created all things, the God who, as, as it were, we are like as if we were ants before him. That is how small and insignificant we are in comparison to God. And that is the one whom we represent. And so, as I said, as we go to represent God, when people look at you, 
Do they see the one whom you represent? Do they see the God whom you represent in your life? When they look at you, do they say, man, when I see them, I see Christ. I see God in them. They are an amazing representative of God. Think about that reality. Is that what is said of us? When people look at you, they say, man, this person looks so much like Jesus. They are a representative of him. They are an ambassador of him. When I look at, when I look at, at, at this person, man, they look like Christ. That is what I see in their life. In the way that you spend your money, in the way that you watch movies, in the way that we choose the, wor- the words we use at school or at work, or when your friends come around, do we change who we are to be an ambassador of the world in some places and to be an ambassador of God in some places? Do we change this? Once you become a Christian, you become an ambassador. There is no other way around this. Everything you do in your life is a representative of God, even if you're not preaching the gospel. Even if you're not preaching the gospel, you are an ambassador. And they're going to look at you. The world will look at you. And if you're not convinced yet, listen to Ephesians 5.1. Therefore, be imitators of God. This is what Paul says. If you heard that right, imitators of God. This is a high calling to be a representative of God. This is the calling of the new creation. So ambassadors are representatives. And secondly, an ambassador is from a different culture. So not only are we to be like the one which we represent, but we also are to be different from those around us. So not only are we to be images of God, we are to be unlike the world. Ambassadors are from a different culture. When the ambassador of the United States goes to India, he is entering a radically different culture than his own. When he enters that place, he looks nothing like them. His skin color is different. His, uh, his clothing is different. His food likes is, dif- is, is different. His, his interests are different. His style of music taste is different. Everything is different entering into this new place. Do you see the picture that I'm painting here? We're not only to look like Christ in all we do, but to be different than the world. So these two kingdoms represented it as the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, or as Augustine puts it, the city of God or the city of man. If we find ourselves in the city of God, we come in with new ambassadors. We come in wearing the clothes of Christ. We come in wearing the speech of Christ. We come in having the eyes of Christ. We come in looking like him, speaking like him, and thinking like him and all that we do. So that when others see you, they say, this guy is from a different place. He's not from our culture. Think about how easy it is for us, and I'm speaking myself, to, enter, to, to get enter into the culture of the world. It's easy for us to do that. Everyone around us, we start to blend in. We start to say, you know what, I'm going to buy these clothes. Not spiritually clothes. I'm, I'm going to put on the, what they're wearing. I'm, I'm going to look like them. I'm going to speak like them. I'm going to talk like them. I'm going to watch what they watch. I'm going to use, you know, all these different things that they use. This is slowly and slowly the ambassadors taking off their robes. Saying, I'm no longer representing my king. I want to look like the world. I want to look like they do. And this is a temptation for myself. This is, this is a temptation for all of us. But we must know that an ambassador is from a different culture. Think about Israel with me. Israel was supposed to be this city set on a hill going out into all the nations. The second commandment, or the third commandment, you shall not take the name of your Lord, the Lord your God in vain. What that meant in Israel's day was that they were bearing the name of God. When they sinned, they took the name of the Lord in vain. It wasn't only words, it was also the way they lived their life. 
And this is the same for you and I. We bear the name of God as Christians. We say, I'm a Christian. That is how we bear it. We, we represent it. So when we sin against God, we are in a sense bearing his name in vain. This is the seriousness of this. And so rather than the world, my question is, do we have the mind of Christ? Does our heart long for the things of Christ? And my prayer is that truly all of us sitting in this room, our hearts would say, I do want that. I do long for that. Like, I don't want this to just be a place where we, we say, yeah, this is the right message, but it's actually changing us. It's actually causing us to say, no, I want to change things. I want to be different. I want to start. I want to change who I am to look more like Christ. This is for every single one of us in this room. As believers, we want to continue to grow more into the likeness of Jesus. And I want to mention one sub-application right here. As ministers of reconciliation in this passage, one thing is very important. In order for us to be ministers of reconciliation, we first must reconcile with those who we've, who we've sinned against. It is, it is a form of hypocrisy to say we are ambassadors of reconciliation when we cannot forgive one another. We cannot look at our husband or wife or our siblings or our families and forgive them when we ourselves claim to be ministers of reconciliation. We go out to a world saying, be reconciled to God, ministers of reconciliation, but you yourself cannot be reconciled to the one you love in your family. This is something that I wrestle with in my own relationships, my own friends, and I, it was one of the greatest convictions of my life that we are to forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. So if you see in your family right now in your life that there is someone you need to be reconciled with, first go re-reconcile to them today before we think about going and reconciling others to God. We must start here in our own lives before we go on from that. So as believers continue to grow more into the likeness of Christ, those around us continue to grow more into the likeness of what they worship. So secondly, ambassadors are um, from a different culture. Third, ambassadors bring a message. An ambassador is a representative, an ambassador is from a different culture, and thirdly, an ambassador comes with a message. So everyone, please look at your Bible. I'm going to walk through the verses very clearly, just literally walking them through verse by verse to show you the message. I want you guys to, to see this with your eyes so that I can show you this is where I'm seeing this in the Bible. I want you to see and look down so that as you're saying, where's Josiah t saying this? You're going to see it with me. This is where I'm pointing this out. So after we become a new creation, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God. So the new creation, this is from God, who through Christ, through Jesus, he now reconciled us to himself. And now he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So all this is from God. He's now taking you and I, reconciling us to himself, and then now entrusting us, giving us this new ministry. That is, he, he further explains it. That is, verse 19, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So all this to say, he mentions reconciliation four times. Two things have to happen. Sins have to be forgiven. Sins have to be forgiven. He reconciled us and he said not count their trespasses against them. If that happens, what is the next, the next step? Look at the therefore in verse 20. Therefore, if this has happened, if reconciliation has been given to you and I, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So this is why I mention 
Third, an ambassador brings a message. The end of those verses concludes with a message. Be reconciled to God. This is the message that we see here. Let me try and paint a picture for you of how amazing this task is. So there was a lost man who did not know God, and his name was Jack. Imagine with me, Jack. Man who works in the United States, living his life, and he's getting ready to go on a vacation, okay? So Jack is on, on a trip, and he's going to see all the great wonders of the world. He's going to go see some wonderful, amazing sights. So he starts off, and he flies to the Grand Canyon. And he sees the Grand Canyon. He looks out and says, this is amazing. Look at this crater here down in the middle of this, of, of this place in earth. It is spectacular. After he goes from the Grand Canyon, he flies to Australia. And he sees the Great Barrier Reef. And he's amazed at how much life is found under the ocean, inside the ocean. He's amazed at this literally full world that's underneath the sea. Then he goes from Australia and he sees, and he goes to Nepal. And he goes to Nepal and he goes to base camp of Mount Everest. He looks up and he says, this is amazing. This wonderful mountain. This is incredible. I, I've never seen something like this. And then finally, he, he, he finishes his term and he goes to, he goes to Norway and he ends up seeing the Northern Lights. And picture with me, Jack, he does not know God. He's looking up at the northern lights. All he sees is this wonderful, beautiful color eruption of lights. And he says, surely there's a God. Surely there's a God who created this. Surely there's someone who looked down from, from I have no idea who you are, but you must have created this eruption of lights, this wonderful, glorious beauty, this picture of, of something. I can't explain it, but it's got to be there. There has to be a God. And the Bible is very clear on this task. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his handiwork. All of heaven declares the glory of God. All of heaven declares God exists. All of heaven says there is a God and he created this universe and we must worship him. But you know what the, real the reality is? Mount Everest, Northern Lights, Grand Canyon, Great Barrier Reef, none of these things can look at a human and say be reconciled to God. None of them can. They declare the glory of God. They declare that God exists. But the greatest thing they can do is condemn you. The greatest thing that Mount Everest can do is condemn you, show you that God is real, but it cannot tell you that you must repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ. The heavens declare the glory of God. The Bible says that things that have no mouths speak of God's greatness. Things that cannot even talk declare his glory. And the Bible says that God has entrusted to you and I this ministry. Who are we? Who are we that God would entrust us to be the ministers of reconciliation, to be the ones that preach the gospel to the lost, the ones that bring with our mouths to say, be reconciled to God. We implore you, we, we, we beseech you, be reconciled to God. All of these wonderful things in the world, the greatest thing they can do is condemn the lost and point them to that there is a God but they cannot look down into the eye of a lost soul and say, you need Jesus or you will be perished forever without him, without, without God, without hope in this world. Think about this reality with me. It is only in this life that we will ever say to someone, be reconciled to God. You will never look at someone in heaven and say, be reconciled to God. You will never have to do that. It is only here, only now, that God has given us this window of time before eternity to tell someone, be reconciled to God. This is the charge. This is the calling. This is the calling of the new creation. 
and we implore people. I mean, you think about your lost people in your life. You think about those who don't know you, those that don't know God. Think about the family members you have, the people that are closest to you that don't know Jesus. These are the ones I'm referencing about, the ones that are here in our families, the ones that are in our workplaces. This is what we must do. And we, and we look at them, and we preach to them, and pro- proclaim to them a message of hope. There is a way for sinners to be reconciled to a holy God. As I mentioned in the beginning, God and man, there is a way for that to be reconciled. God has made a way. In a world filled with lies and deceit, where everyone preaches lies and destruction, Christianity is the only, only religion that has a message of hope. The only one that has a message of hope. And we're sent by a great king into a land of darkness to proclaim a message of love. So an ambassador is not only a representative, an ambassador is not just from a different culture, but an ambassador brings a message. And that message itself will be seen in our final point. Our third and final point is, we must know the greatness of God's love. As I said, reconciliation implies two parties against each other, and they must be brought together. In this, in, in, in this great uh, difference from God and man, who was the party who was offended in this in this relationship. It was God. It was not man. Now, who is the first reconciler? Who comes to us? God. God was the one who was offended. God is the one who comes. And before he ever entrusts us with the message of reconciliation, you know what he does? He first reconciles us to himself. God comes to you and I and reconciles us. Look at verse 18 with me. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The only reason we preach the gospel is because we ourselves have been reconciled to God. We speak experientially. We speak on confidence. Look at my life. I was an enemy of God. Look at where I was. I was a sinner of God. One of my favorite Bible verses in all the world is 1 Timothy 1.15. It says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of who I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the story of all of our lives. We were once dead in our sins and trespasses. We were once following the course of, the, of, of this world. But God stepped into darkness. Who was the first reconciler in the Garden of Eden? God said to Adam, where are you? God said to Adam, where are you? In Ezekiel, God himself says, all of these shepherds are are wicked shepherds. I myself will seek the lost. I will come down and do that. And how does this happen? How does God reconcile the lost? It's through his son. It's through a manger. It's through the son of God coming on, taking on flesh, and coming down into this world. This is how God does it. And and Paul further explains it in, in 2 Corinthians. Look at verse 21 with me. For our sake, he made him to be sin." so that in him, who knew no sins, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God is the one who does it all. He was the offended party, offended party, and he comes to us. He removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. He casts our sins into the depths of the sea. He remembers our sins no more. He blots out our transgressions for his namesake. He does it all. The scripture says it's by his wounds we are healed. In, in, in Revelation, John records the Lamb of God who was worthy to be, who was, who was worthy of, 
all honor, all praise, and all glory, the only one worthy to open the scroll, it's he was the one who comes down and dies and stands in our place. Now why all this talk of reconciliation? Why do I mention reconciliation? Why do we even need to be reconciled? Isaiah 59 says, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Our sin separates us from God. Charles Spurgeon said, you better separate from your sin or you and your God will never come together. This is the message. We cannot access God. We must be reconciled to him for our sins are too great. I want to explain to you two ways to get into heaven. You may be confused when I say that. What are the two ways to get into heaven? One, the first way to get into heaven is you must enter into heaven because you are morally blameless in the sight of God, meaning you possess a perfect righteousness of your own. If, you, if any one of us in this room have that, you have the key to heaven, access to God. If you possess a perfect moral righteousness or two, the only other way to get into heaven is you enter in on the righteousness of someone else. You enter in on the righteousness of a substitute, someone standing in your place. This is the only other way. There's two ways, and the first is not possible, for all of us have sinned, and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We all stand guilty, and so if this is the way, it must be the second. We must enter in by the righteousness of another. God is perfectly holy and perfectly just. Sin will be punished. And the way that it's punished, it's either in hell by us, taken our, on our own shoulders, or it's on the cross, bared by Christ. Those are the only two ways that sin is punished. On, cross, on the cross or in hell. There is no other way to get around that. And so this is the point. Why did all this happen? Beginning at verse 21. For our sake. For our sake. Why does it say that? For our sake. God did that for us. This is the greatness of God's love. For our sake, he made him, God made Christ, who knew no sin, become sin. He was regarded as you and I, the one who never thought a lustful thought, never had anger, never was disobedient to his parents, never cheated, never stole, nothing. The one who knew no sin becomes sin. There's not even a way to describe that other than him literally bearing all of the curse, all of the punishment, all of our sin upon his shoulders. This is the message and why does he do it? For our sake. There's no other way to read that passage and to say, for our sake, God made Christ become sin. So that, that verse so that tells us what it means. So that we could become the righteousness of God. And that righteousness of God is the only way we are let into heaven. Because we must enter in on the righteousness of another person. So we must see the love of God. How the Father sends the Son. The Son dies and the Spirit seals us for eternity. And this is what Romans 5 talks about. The whole ministry of reconciliation. For while we were weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one will dare even to die. But God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. This is the love of God. The only way for these two parties to be reconciled is if God does it all. God does everything, every part of it. And the only thing we must do is turn from our sins and put our faith in Christ. And this is the message the ambassador brings to the lost. This is the message we bring. And as I come to my conclusion, I want us to remind us to set our eyes on heaven and not to look to the things of the flesh. We must know the calling of a new creation to be an ambassador. And we must know the greatness of God's love. 
with all this to say, I could leave us by saying, go and do, be a strong ambassador for Christ, but I don't want to ask us, I don't want to say that without asking one question. Everyone go back and look at verse 14 of 2 Corinthians chapter 15, excuse me, of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 14 through 16. This is where I want to leave us. Verse 14 begins, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. We regard no one according to the flesh. This is the emphasis. Does the love of Christ control our hearts? Does the love of Christ compel us? There's nothing I could say, nothing I could do to say, go and do, go Go do all these things unless the love of Christ is swelling up in your heart, causing you, motivating you to preach the gospel, to go out to those who are lost. Does the love of Christ cause you to no longer live for yourself? Not only just when it comes to preaching the gospel, but when it comes to fighting sin. It says we no longer live for ourselves anymore, but for him who for our sake died and was raised. Does that compel you? Does it control you? Does it constrain you to turn from the way of this world and to live for this and to live for Christ does your heart at all long for these things Deuteronomy 5 it's a prayer God God is speaking to Israel he says oh that they would always have a heart to fear me and keep my commandments and that was my prayer I was talking with Braden earlier this earlier this week I said oh that I would have a heart always there's sometimes I feel so on fire for the Lord I'm like all I want to do is follow God and all of us know there's times when I don't feel that way and I've turned and I've sinned and I've, I've disobeyed the Lord. And so we must always constantly direct our hearts back to God. That is the Christian life, always directing our hearts back to God. It's not, a, it's not a steady line like this. It's a constant directing our hearts back to the Lord. So to be very, to be, to be very practical, this starts by every day spending time in the Bible. Every day waking up and spending time in the Word of God. Every day seeking to pray. And even going out to preach the gospel it doesn't mean we go out to every single person. It means starting with that conversation. Getting bold to speak to your coworker. Reaching out one more time to that, to that friend. Reaching out one more time to that lost family member, even if it's awkward. It means taking that step, taking that obedience of the Lord to go and be an ambassador. We have been entrusted with a glorious task. The king of the universe has looked down in us, upon us and said, be my ambassadors in a foreign land. Now my, my hope, my prayer is that we may be faithful with what he has entrusted us. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove. You can also join us at the South Row Inn YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.